Hello and welcome to the Design Resource Podcast from Johnson Tiles. I'm your host, Natalie, and I will be talking to UK designers and makers about the value of making, community, and what it means to be resourceful in British architecture and design today. Never in living memory have we been called upon to consider resource and value more deeply. Here we will explore how our guests have adapted in what's been a particularly challenging year. We're launching this series to celebrate our 120th anniversary, but not by looking back, but by looking forward. So we will be asking each of the guests to reflect and take note of the year that's been by sharing what they have learnt in our new digital time capsule. So welcome to our fourth episode of the Design Resource Podcast, where I'm really looking forward to speaking with today's guest. Kirsty Thomas, founder of the Tom Pigeon Studio and Make Bank, which is a social project which addresses issues associated with creative poverty by providing art material kits and online resources for young people interested in pursuing creative careers. And we're going to dig in to hear more. Welcome, Kirsty. How are you? Hi, thank you for having me. So let's start with hearing more about you and background about your career, if we may. Sure. So I have had quite a mixed bag of a career. If we went really far back to the beginning, I kind of had like quite a split in school. I was really into PE and art. And so I went and studied um, sports science as a degree to begin with, did a year realized I didn't really want to hang out with the rugby boys anymore and then changed to do an art foundation course. Um, And then I studied um, a design degree in Salford. And then from there, I spent, um, I've spent quite, well, 25 years of a career kind of dancing around different areas. So I have been um, an art and design teacher. Um, I've taught children with special needs. I've run a fashion business. I have worked in um, fashion retail um, and merchandising. Um, And then about 14 years ago, I started to kind of, um, alongside the teaching that I was doing, started my own kind of craft practice um, and um, that was under the moniker of Lovely Pigeon Um, and that was very much um, a kind of uh, very hands-on craft-based business. Um, Lots of printmaking, lots of jewellery making, um, worked with lots of kind of upcycled and recycled um, materials and then um, as that business grew my husband joined the team and we rebranded to become Tom Pigeon, which is what we are now or what I am now, which is a much more design led kind of graphics led business. And we kind of focus on print, but we have also in the past done things like jewellery and furniture design and lots of different things. Lots of insights into lots of different disciplines. But where would you say that passion for making and designing originated when you had that early switch of focus? I think as a child, I was always like super creative. I had a grandmother who was like basically like into really into recycling and craft she pressed flowers and she made jam and she like got old woolly jumpers and turned them into new things and I think like she was a real inspiration for me as a kid and so I think that I always had that kind of like craft making kind of very tactile bug yeah and I just I enjoy the me I enjoy the process of making I enjoy the process of creativity um and so I think even though I kind of did that kind of slight dally into sports science I think it was probably always the right route for me and would you say there's one thing that makes you get out of bed in the morning? I don't know if there is one thing. I think it really changes. And I think that that's probably why I also run the Make Bank alongside my creative studio work. Um, because I think so. the things that get me out of bed are about people 
So whether that be like collaborating, like design wise, collaborating with people on projects or working with the manufacturers that we work with, but also about helping people and nurturing people and, and kind of looking at the next generation and that kind of thing. So I think you know, maybe people is what gets me out of bed in the morning. Brilliant. Well, let's explore Makebank. Let's let's understand more about how it came about and what drove you to launch, especially it being a social project. I'd been running Tom Pigeon for about five years and we were doing really well. You know, like our commercial business, we work with really amazing clients. You know, we work with um, the Tate and the Barbican and Team GB and amazing, amazing opportunities to work with great people. Um, and I love what I do. However, um, I really wanted to look at ways to kind of build more sort of social worth into our my creative practice. I started originally to kind of like really research other projects that we could work with, things that already existed. So things that we could maybe like profit share with or get involved in mentoring or, you know, something like that. Mm. Um, and through my research, and I guess because of my kind of background in teaching there were certain issues that I was really interested in things like poverty um, levels in the UK um, homelessness mental health refugee issues and one of the things that came up in in the research was this idea of poverty proofing schools and quite often poverty proofing in schools is things to do with like food poverty or Mm -hmm. hygiene poverty or uniforms things like that you know making trips accessible and that kind of thing but one of the things that kept popping up was this idea that pupils were consciously selecting subjects at secondary school that didn't require monetary input. So they were selecting the subjects where they didn't have to buy materials. They didn't have to like make a contribution each week, say, like in food technology, those kind of subjects. And that just didn't feel right to me that, you know, like we, you know, we're meant to be in a society where like education is equal and fair and open to everybody. And yet we've got sections of society and and children who are making decisions not to study those subjects because they don't have the materials to do it so art subjects are one of the ones that were kind of falling short all the time because you you know even at the most basic level you need pencils you know and something to color in with to to do your homework or to continue with your coursework outside of school and I knew as a teacher that I had faced those problems or kind of seen those problems with pupils. And, you know, wherever we can as teachers, we go out of our way to help the pupils to be able to achieve their goals. So that might be lending out kit from from the classroom. It might be spending your own money, personal money on, you know, providing stuff for the kids that they don't have. But, you know, budgets are tight, particularly in art departments. And so it's not always possible. That's where the idea, the kind of, um, for Make Bank was born. It was really about trying to tackle what what we've kind of coined as creative poverty. And that's like access to materials, but it's also access to ideas and access to venues and access to information so that pupils have the opportunity to kind of study and pursue creative futures. And in light of what we've experienced with the pandemic and the impact it's had on schools, how have you seen that increase in demand for support? I mean, we've seen we've seen a huge upturn in in terms of the pandemic. Um, I think originally, um, you know, schools obviously at, at the beginning of the pandemic, schools were shut, and you know everyone was homeschooling. So you were kind of getting these kids who were kind of trapped um, at home pretty much but trying their best to kind of do their coursework and make sure that their portfolios were submitted so they could get their GCSEs or their A-levels and so they, they you know it immediately brought up a huge gap between those that have and those that don't 
um, which the teachers were having to deal with. So we, yeah, we saw a huge upturn in applications for kits over that period of time. And you mentioned about the type of teaching that you'd done in the kind of special needs area and, and just knowing what we, we know about mental health issues around what's gone on with schools. And there obviously being a link with that kind of artistic way of working. There's even more importance, isn't there, on this accessibility? Oh, hugely, hugely. I mean, I think that, you know, when we originally set the project up, it was about socioeconomic difference. And actually what we've seen in the applications that we receive is that it's not always about that. Sometimes it's about pupils who are young carers um, or pupils that are um, struggling with mental health issues and therefore their attendance at school is difficult. It's about pupils who are in care. Um, and so it's it covers such a wide um, kind of remit of, of kind of issues, um, you know, in terms of us being able to kind of, you know, and I'm not suggesting that Makebank can solve all these problems, but if we sure. can drop in and kind of lend a hand for some of these pupils, then, you know, you know, it just gives them a bit of a leg up, doesn't it? And early. It, it gives them it early to have a taste rather than it not being something they've ever experienced and then kind of ruling out because they just don't know it. Totally, totally. And I think that from a long-term game plan, you know, what we want to see is wider diversity in the industry. But you've got to tackle that at an early age. It can't be dealt with at university level because already you've seen the dropout of pupils that have decided that it's not for them, you know, or it's not you know, available to them. Um, and so, yeah, tackling it as early as possible, you know, and, and during the pandemic, we started um, issuing like mini make bank kits for like um, primary pupils as well. So, yeah, like it's just, it's, you know, it's trying to get it at as early a stage as possible. And I do want to talk with you more about that. Um, but I just want to talk a bit about the kind of wider making and crafting industry before we go there yeah. and the kind of challenges that designers and makers have faced in light of what we've all been through. Yeah, sure. Like, I think that um, as a maker myself, you know, and running the, the design studio, um, it's been it's been a tricky time, you know, like in terms of supply chains, that's been difficult. You know, sometimes, um, you know, I've had access to my studio, but our um, manufacturers who are like all British manufacturers haven't had access to theirs. So our, um, our supply chain has kind of broken for, you know, for periods of time. Um, and also kind of going the other way, you know, we're we're a retail business and, and most of our um, wholesale business is to small independent um, design stores and galleries. And all of those were shut during the pandemic. So there's a there's been a real challenge for, for businesses like ours in terms of, yeah, just, the, you know, the, the supply chain, both kind of incoming and outgoing, I think. And that has to create a, a pivot of sorts, doesn't it? To kind of see what you can do to, I suppose, troubleshoot. So were there certain like core foundations that you found that were essential to maintaining what you were doing? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it kind of split two ways. I mean, we, we really focused um, a lot of energy on um, like our online channels. So like our online sales, which made um, a big difference. And, and, you know, and that was great at the beginning of lockdown because we make prints and people were sitting in these newly acquired home offices and working out what they wanted to put on their walls. So for us, that was great. You know, that was a real opportunity. Less so as the pandemic kind of went forward. And I think that, you know, kind of consumer confidence started to wane a little bit. So I think, you know, that's been been tricky. Um, and then for me, you know, I, I felt that I was kind of lucky because I had to two businesses really you know I have make bank and I have Tom Pigeon and actually where the kind of commercial side was maybe faltering or needing to be kind of reconsidered um make bank 
was really needed and and really stepped up. So actually, in terms of my time, I could kind of pivot my time towards that um, and feel that I was still kind of making a difference. Now, we're really keen to capture on the Design Resource podcast the importance of traditional skills and crafts and why it's so important for the design industry and knowing what you know from the the, the route that you've gone you know, to, to what you're doing now and obviously the work that you're doing with Makeback and what that enables. Why would you say these traditional skills and crafts are so key in what we're doing? I think that traditional craft making is kind of like the foundation stones for so much of what we produce in the UK and actually, you know, across the world, you know, I think that without understanding the, the, the making processes and the materials, then, then we don't understand sustainability and we don't understand um, time and costs and, you know, and skills. Um, And I think if we, if we start to lose those in favor of kind of like more kind of engineering methods, perhaps that we lose a little bit of the soul of what, you know, is, is the British craft and manufacturing industry. Yeah. And I think that that would be really sad to see. And I think that unfortunately we will start to see a little bit of a dwindle in that, like whilst there's a real resurgence in craft making in the industry and obviously, you know, discussions around the environment and sustainability of, of materials, we are also conversely seeing like massive cuts in funding to arts education and particularly to kind of craft-based courses in universities. Mm. So it's a real conundrum, you know, like whilst, whilst we in the industry see like a real uprising of craft, I'm not sure how accessible it's going to be to the future generations coming through. So what can we try to maintain then with that in mind? I mean, obviously the work Makebank does is trying to keep that line going, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, you know, and I think that as an industry, as a, you know, I think as makers, as crafters uh, and designers in the industry, we are all there to share our skills and share our expertise and put that information out there. So maybe it's not necessarily available through traditional university channels, but that it is available in other ways, you know, so it's about skill sharing, you know, whether that be on TikTok or whether that be on Instagram or, you know, through people's websites, um, that there's an opportunity to kind of like keep that going in lots of other ways. And what about when we're talking about keeping it going, how you feel about material selection and the part that that plays in preserving the UK landscape and its its beauty, its history, its community? Well, for me and Tom Pigeon, like materials has always been kind of quite essential to what we do. It's always been about finding the most sustainable materials, about interesting materials, things that are maybe a little bit experimental. We use papers for our prints that are kind of um, com- combine like recycled corn from the farming industry and stuff like that so like just like interesting you know innovative products you know sustainability and kind of that kind of sustainability of craft doesn't have to be kind of dry and you know quite formal it can be quite experimental and it can be really interesting so I think it's about you know it's really about kind of being playful I think with materials and you know and not being scared to kind of experiment you know and keeping an eye on you know there are amazing people doing amazing things with really exciting materials out there that kind of make it interesting to watch as an observer. So it's nurturing all of that and leading by example, isn't it? For sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, and I think that I think most craft makers are those people that are leading by example already. You know, I think, you know, if you if you're making you generally are very in touch with the materials that you're using and why you're using them. I want to just talk with you about the impact of the material selection and how it it 
it helps and enhances our experience of our environment and how important that is. And also how important that is in all the educational piece that is going on when we're nurturing, you know, new, new talent. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we sit, we sit in spaces that are, you know, designed to make us feel certain ways. So, you know, the textures or the colors or the materials that are used in spaces make us feel a certain way, whether that be relaxed or, you know, focused or whatever. Um, and, you know, I think that the the importance of materials in that respect is is huge um, and and quite subconscious. And lots of people won't recognise that they're being influenced or being kind of their mood is being enhanced by the materials that they're using or touching or or feeling or, or that surround them. And then I guess that in terms of that impact of the next generation coming through. So you know, if we're marginalising groups at a kind of higher education level, these pupils are not getting into the system to kind of create and use these materials and 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 become designers or craft makers. Then it in turn limits our environments. You know, how how do we see ourselves represented in the environments that we're in if if our environments are not being designed by a wide and diverse sector of society it's like this ongoing much needed cycle isn't it of, of the connection between the two for sure yeah and you know and and you know and as a creative industry we're, we're really guilty of of being quite you know craft, craft unfortunately is the preserve of the white and middle class quite often um and and you know those kind of use those use of materials we need to open up to everybody so that our environment reflects the communities that we live in so when we think of the kind of diversity that there is in the new talent and creativity coming through and making sure that the creative industry is maintained and open to all we talked about there being some issues but how best can we do that i think it's a about lots of different things I think it's about education so I think you know there's probably a need like a creative careers curriculum potentially in schools whether you know whether that's formal or informal but you know that that you know there is still an issue um in schools where we hear all the time about pupils that have been kind of guided towards a math subject or a science subject because they're the real subjects that get you the real jobs and actually what we need to be doing is having the conversation about the fact that you know the creative industries is a real industry and you know and, you know and like you know I think you know I think it's worth something like 111 billion pounds a year you know it's 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 not perceived at the moment to be a real career route for lots of people and that that is that's really tricky um you know so that's about educating teachers it's about educating parents it's about educating um, schools, careers advisors, um, and all those kind of people that are kind of part of that that chain that make the pupils make those decisions. Um, and then it's also about making sure that pupils see themselves represented in our industry. So it's about sharing stories. So on our on the MakeBank website, we share stories um, of makers who are already working in the industry and we really strive to make that as diverse as possible not just racially diverse but socioeconomically diverse gender diverse um so that pupils can kind of look and say oh well there's a there's a architect that looks like me or there's an illustrator that looks like me um because that's a real that's a real difficulty for a lot of pupils can you give us some examples of some of your recipients yeah yes the stories that we try and share 
are as wide a kind of diverse group as possible, but not just diverse in terms of the people themselves, but diverse in terms of the jobs that exist in the industry. So, you know, we have amazing people like Simone Brewster, who's like a jewellery designer and furniture designer, like a real proper kind of materials person. We have Kangan Aurora, who's like a textile designer. We've got architects on there. We've got... um, product designers you know we've just got we you know what we're trying to do and it's at at fairly early stages but what we're trying to do is trying to grow that into a resource where somebody can say well what's a project manager and then go to project management and find all these different people who are doing that job you know it's not just about the people who are really hands-on with materials but it's about all those people in the background that are making the creative industries run as well and that's also enabling that information for those career, those in positions where they're advising pupils on their careers to, to have that understanding and, and insight as well, isn't it? For sure. Yeah, because it's difficult. You know, if you're a teacher and you've been in education since you left university and even me, like, you know, I've worked in the industry for 25 years and I still come across jobs. I'm like, oh, nobody would have told me Who that knew? was a job at school. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah, it's really important to kind of keep that conversation flowing. And we'll obviously put links so people can go and have a look at some of the stories. But we mentioned the kind of the kits and the beneficiaries. So in light of what we've got, we've been through um, and the impact it's had. And you said you've seen such an increase in in requests for the kits. Are there any insights from MakeBank beneficiaries through what's gone on? Yeah, so so we, we don't deal directly too much with the pupils because obviously that's kind of like a kind of GDPR issue and you know but um but we have had amazing feedback from from teachers that we work with pupils that have gone on to do like creative apprenticeships um gone on to do their foundation degrees at university gone on to do like their actual bachelors um and so it's been you know because we've now been going for like three-ish years we've we're now starting to see those kind of pupils leave school and, and kind of progress and our aim is that will then share their stories, you know, so that they'll become part of the story section of the website and and inspiration for the next generation of pupils that are receiving the kits. Brilliant. That's great. Now, uh, Johnson's Tiles success lies not only in its strong culture, but in the connections it has with, with its partners and its community. And when I asked you at the start about what gets you out of bed, you talked about people. And I just want to talk about the importance of community and building a business in the UK design industry and if you can give an example from your experience alongside the make bank work it's been a weird time for us because um in 2020 we decided to relocate um and moved from scotland down to liverpool um and in scotland we had a, an amazingly diverse and supportive kind of um community of makers the design community in Scotland is 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 really strong and vibrant and and I had kind of come up through that kind of um periods of time where there was a real kind of like chat about it um and that was amazing and even though like during um my time in Scotland I lived in a really small village in a tiny community my bigger design and creative community was just you know just kind of covered such a wide span of people and places um and then moving to the city during the pandemic was weird because i moved into a brand new kind of location with a whole bunch of exciting new creative opportunities of which none were open to me right. because it was <laughs> the middle like of lockdown. yeah and it was like there was no opportunities to kind of do that that kind of normal networking and kind of meet other businesses that are around me so only now am i kind of starting to 
kind of build those a new community I guess whilst I've still got the wonderful Scottish community like you know I guess you know I'll always be part of that but you know trying to build those new communities was a little bit tricky but I guess conversely what the pandemic has shown us is that we can communicate with people all over the world so much more easily now than we ever thought we could and you know whilst we might love it or hate it you know Zoom is an amazing opportunity to kind of you know have meetings and get together with people in lots of different places at lots of different times. So it's been been really good, but it's been a challenge um, over the last year or so for me in terms of like building that new community. And what does being resourceful mean to you and those at, at Makebank? Well, I think the resourcefulness is lots of different things. I think it's about networks. I think it's about people. You know, I think going back to that idea of getting people getting me out of bed, I think that resourcefulness is about the people that you know um, and what you can all offer each other and I think that it's about helping each other but also helping other people that maybe don't have as much available to them so whether that be you know resourcefulness of materials or resourcefulness of knowledge or education you know I think that that is really important. Now we're talking in light of Johnson Tiles celebrating its 120th anniversary and as a manufacturer they've navigated last century sticking to its core making and we find that the true value of heritage isn't the past it's the learnings and that all helps leverage future opportunities as we've Mm. just been discussing as well and if you had the opportunity to speak to your future self reflecting especially on the past year and what you've learned what would you tell yourself? I think that I would probably Hmm, it's a really tricky one, isn't it? I think I would probably tell myself to think about the impact of my design work on other people and on the environment. And I know that that sounds like very wide and sweeping, but also like I think I would tell myself to kind of like really consider other people and the future of design and how the creative environment impacts on everybody. Well, Kirsty, it's been really fascinating hearing all that's gone on with you and all the brilliant work that Make Bank are doing. And we will, of course, link to all the different ways that people can find you in the show notes. Thank you so much for talking with us. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Our digital time capsule celebrating the design community's resourcefulness is now live. So if you are looking for inspiration to take forward with you into the next year, want to join the community to reflect and share your experiences, then visit johnson-tiles.com forward slash take note and add your message. What would you say to your future self and how the past year has helped you to adapt resourcefully to the challenges faced? And for every message submitted, Johnson Tiles will contribute one make and design kit to the Make Bank social project which addresses issues associated with creative poverty. As you've just been hearing in this podcast episode, they enable disadvantaged young people to pursue creative educations and careers. And you can learn more at themakebank.org.uk. And finally, if you like what you've heard and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe to the Design Resource Podcast in your favourite podcast app.